welcome back to Afros and Combos. Hey, Hello. Hello. What up? What up? What up? Okay. Well, last time y'all y'all was trying to say I was all dry, so I just thought I'd try to pep it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> like and subscribe to the podcast follow us on social media at afros and combos on ig email us at afros and combos at gmail.com check out the website at www.afrosandcombos.com all right folks any news that we would like to share wait you didn't ask us how we're doing cookie oh i did dang okay. i'm getting ahead Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, she like screw all y'all feelings. What's going on in the world? That's the news. Uh, how's everybody doing? <laughs> I am good. Uh, blessed. Yeah, free. <laughs> I'm great. I'm great, girl. Cookie got me watching the Cosby's over again. Oh, look. Mm-hmm. Don't get me watching the Cosby's over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing good too. I've been a little anxious this week, but um, aside from that, I'm good. I'm good. Anxious from what? Like the uh, world news and yeah, stuff related? Like, I've just been overwhelmed by everything that's going on in the world yeah. and just there's so much change happening and. Yeah, all that coupling, and it's just been a busy week. It's been like, man, I just need to let me unplug a little bit. You should unplug do some yoga. Unplugging, yeah, yeah. Yoga, bless yourself. I did some workout on here, girl. Okay, I'm You should do some vapor meditation. What? That, that have you, like have you ever done that? vapor meditation? No, I've never I did it with Camille. It's actually oh. really great. It is, I, know, it I is literally co- did vapor meditation this morning, and girl, when I tell you, it blessed my soul. It's oh, actually yeah. really, really good. At first, I was a little scared, and then I kept going, and it's actually really good. Yeah, so Are vapor meditation is, it's like, it's guided meditation, but it's biblically based, but it's not like but it's wrapped in a package that doesn't that's not a traditional package of what the church would be presenting. You know what I mean? And it's based on Ecclesiastes and uh, the concept of the Hebrew word havel, which is like vapor, mist. Like if you've read Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And it's basically used to help you gain perspective of your place in the world, how important certain things are in life. I don't, you just got to do it. It's good though. Are you going to smoke it really or no? Oh, I'll send it to you. God bless you. That's all I you got to push past the little Hebrew. They, they do a little Hebrew in the beginning. Yeah, I was just like, oh. In, yeah, it starts off in the beginning and someone's like kind of chanting, singing kind Sound of. Sound like a bar mitzvah girl. I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I thought it sounded like the Islamic call to prayer at first. I was like, wait a second. Who, you said this about Jesus? Or no, no. I thought uh, they was doing a little chatting or something. I was like, mm. But it's good though. I said it sounds like a bar mitzvah. <laughs> I don't even know what a bar mitzvah sounds like, but I don't think it sounds like that. Do they bar mitzvahs? Well, you know when they do the little read. Yeah, the little reading thing. Oh, okay. 
Girl, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a fun little foray into vaping. <laughs> vaping and vapor meditation are not at all the same thing. Wait, 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 wait. I was like, wait, what? We, we don't encourage vaping. Exactly. I'm not condoning vaping. Uh, uh, man, any news y'all have that y'all want to share? Yeah, I got, you got some, some heavy news. I, Go on here. I got. Man, I don't, <laughs> I don't. I have a light news and a heavy news, and I'm only doing two because it's too much going on. So my first news is for you, Drea. They are airing. They Netflix has 15 episodes of Supermarket Sweepstakes Thank or Supermarket Sweep Sweep on there. I saw that and I was like, I gotta tell my homegirl this. Yes, I'm super excited. I've already added it to my list. We'll be watching it soon and very soon. You probably gonna knock all of it out in like two days. I'll probably try to ration it out. You know, I try to ration out shows I like. <laughs> all right, so that was the first news. The second news is so y'all hear about the change the immigration um for student visas that Trump and his administration did recently. Um mm. they changed the clause that was in place for students who were able to take online classes last year, they changed the clause because of COVID extending to make students um, have to take in-person class, at least one in-person class, or have to go back to their respective countries of study. Um, A lot of people are saying that it is a political move, which I agree to force the hand of institutions to open up prematurely. Um, Trump keeps pushing this narrative that the Democrats are somehow trying to use this situation in in for their favor and stop progress and all this other stuff. But what he's not realizing, he's putting a lot of people's lives at risk on one end for opening up campuses prematurely. But he's also putting a lot of international students in limbo. I mean, we're talking about this is not just basic level care thing of you're potentially having to send students back to respective countries in the midst of a pandemic. You're also talking about the effects that it has on our economy. Like international students contribute to $41 billion to the U.S. economy. And they also create almost half of like half a million jobs in the U.S. That group in itself and the threat of them leaving has so many implications that I don't think he's thinking about. Um, but I read that and I was like, man, this is like the most insane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And it personally like hit someone that I know and care about. So I just want to hear y'all thoughts like about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely 100% political because, I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. I have done a study abroad and the cultural submersion is as much a part of the experience as it is the academic work. So I can only imagine being an international student for an even longer, prolonged period of time and how being in America can in a lot of ways provide context for some things and it it college in general is so much more about the book 
classroom experience. And a lot of times people pay to go to certain schools just so they can network because I'm going to be a Harvard grad and now I'm going to know some Harvard grads. But if I'm going to school only online, like who I'm really going to meet like that? You know what I mean? And so it's like, I'm not even getting what I'm paying for because now you're going to make me go back to wherever and take these classes online. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, I think ultimately it absolutely is political. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I can see it on two fronts. One, it is trying to force the schools to open, like you said, um, and have in-person classes because taking away international students is going to hit universities very hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Secondly, um, I don't know if y'all know or whatever, but immigration has like almost come to a halt yeah. mm-hmm. to the U.S. Yeah. So, and you know, like that is one of his dog whistle things mm-hmm. to his face. Yeah. And since there is no caravan coming to like slaughter all of us from Mexico, <laughs> now we need to create something. And how we're going to create something is finding a group of somehow quote, immigrants, migrants, or however he's going to characterize it in speeches and say that they are a threat or whatever the case may be, and need to go back to their country. Yeah. So it's like, one, immigration ain't happening, and two, they, this, if, on like he wins either way. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he's speaking to his base on immigration, and if not, then you, you get schools opening up and having in-person stuff, and it looks like the economy is moving again. But ultimately, I mean, I think, I want to say Harvard and... MIT. MIT. Other, MIT, yeah. They, they're suing yeah. to get this... It's ridiculous. It's to, like, to halt this from, ha- from happening. But, you know... It is so yeah. dumb. I actually thought of this joke. I watched the... Um, George Lopez special on Netflix and um, you know at first it was focused so much uh, the DACA was focused so much on our Latino community building a wall and he was saying how he had this guy working on his roof and the guy fell off the roof and he was like the guy was just like oh I'm so sorry I work overtime for the time that I was in the air just saying how like how hard working his his people are (laughs) the time in the air Oh, that's that's man. <laughs> I was dying. He was like, "Man, I love my people." <laughs> he said, "Man, arm broke and stuff." He's like, "Bro, like I can help you out." He's like, "No, I'm gonna work overtime. I got you. Roof is gonna be done tomorrow." <laughs> oh man, yeah, just a little I, lightheartedness in the midst of the foolishness. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the only heavy news I'm gonna share. So, anybody else? Well, Kika, to go along with uh, what you were saying, I I didn't know that he was also um, forcing a hand on the Department of Education. So, like, he's forcing schools to open. Yeah. He's threatening <laughs> to, like, uh, take away their federal funding. And I'm like, he's, you, he's, you trying to kill, kill everybody? He's not okay. <laughs> like, he's not okay. Because I only kidding. saw the college thing and I kept reading and I was like, oh, we talking about the little kid, the high schools and the middle schools and everybody's schools. Yeah, because he, in his head, he's like saying, well, other countries are opening up and they're doing just fine. But I'm like, you don't understand that Arizona as a state in itself mm-hmm. has more cases than the high, like the next highest growing country. Mm-hmm. Arizona, the state. 
and then followed by Florida. And you want to open up schools, talking about other countries are opening up their schools. Like, sir, no. Yeah, he just, he just, I don't think he's making good choices. But I only have one news um, article. And I don't know if you guys heard about the uh, this top military officer who is um, basically saying these, he's trying to rename the Confederate bases. Well, the bases that are named after Confederate um, leaders, basically saying it's treason. I mean, so yeah, duh. Like, I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, but 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 it's it's, it, it's been treason. It's, it's yeah. been treason. Yeah. What do you mean it's treason? I don't understand. I'm lost. The Confederate, the they Confederate, tried to start their own country. They yeah. left America. That's treason. They, they're traitors. And now oh. they have things named after them, like they didn't try to rebel against this country. I don't. Oh snap! I never even. Nope. Never knew that. Yeah, so they're like these, like Fort Hood, these large bases too. Wow, yeah, that's and the, the largest in America, ain't it? Uh huh. Yeah, and the way that they got that was because they needed land, and so they had to work their magic with some some of the local, you know, people with money, and now you got Fort Hood. But apparently, um, Trump isn't having that, but he is fighting. And the he was saying he made a great statement that mm-hmm. the army is about twenty percent black, and he was just like now they, these people are living on bases where the leader the name of this base like enslaved their grandparents, mm. and so I thought that, that was cool weird. that that yeah hey I know right <laughs> I mean because literally I remember it was a whole thing at MTSU that I don't know if it was a dorm or if it was somewhere that was named after. William Bedford Forrest, the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. Oh, Lord the dude Jesus. who got the little statue on 65 that's been yeah. in the base. I'm like, Nathan. 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 Nathan Bedford mm-hmm. Forrest. That's it. I'm like, he has a bus in the Tennessee State Capitol building, too. Which they just voted to remove. Really? And it was voted 9 2, so they're removing it. Thank God. I don't know why I was there in the first place. You know, you know why I was there in the first place, girl. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's crazy. Wow. So yeah, it's just that I agree, Camille. Like that's just ridiculous. That I mean, it it could be one percent black, and it's like, (laughs) I mean, why is it okay? Like, would you make? I mean, like, would you expect Jewish people to honor things that's you know named after Hitler? Like, no. Like, I don't understand why it's this foreign concept that. That's something that people should not be okay with. But okay, they don't see it the same though. Even though we see it as the same, they don't see it as the same. I'm like, so you okay with people wearing swastikas? Anyway, that's but that's all I got for news wise. Oh no no no! I have one more news. One more news. Okay. Well, this is kind of a news in a conversation with y'all. But um, I watched Hamilton, and uh. <laughs> It blessed my life. I have watched it multiple times and have not turned off the soundtrack. The, like the soundtrack has come alive after watching the original Broadway. So, By multiple, do you mean more than three? Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I already love music. It's so good. And it like no, it seriously, it's good. And then like George Washington is a light-skinned black man. Aaron Burr is a chocolate black man. There's a uh, Anthony Wright was 
because they really not black, so I really didn't yeah. care. But they're not black, but the fact that they're representing America, and like we got to see this instead of it being whitewashed, we got to see it being color washed. This story about Alexander Hamilton, so I really oh, like that. Color washed, but yeah. I mean, but it, but but if real life was whitewashed, then I mean, it's not really a false representation, is it, for it to be whitewashed? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I mean, and and to me, because because one of the things that bothered me about it when I saw it was like Thomas Jefferson obviously is a he's not a huge huge role like I, the the play is Hamilton right but he is large in the play and we all know about Sally Hemings and Sally is literally mentioned as like a passing like I think it's like a reference to Sally like hey Sally get my stuff or something like that and I'm just like I get that we splashed it in there or whatever but it's like underlying all these men all of them all of is that they own all of y'all that's portraying them (laughs) (laughs) wow i saw an article with lynn manuel addressing the recent controversy about all that stuff but ultimately as 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 a work of art it is it's great like i i really enjoyed it but it was really well done it and it was really well written uh, it was good. how long oh. is it yeah i was about that it's two like hours and 40 out. minutes mm-hmm. oh okay. <laughs> drea's look don't, she had like a look at this you have to give it a Almost chance three hours of singing <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably watch it because my brother likes musicals, so I'll probably watch it. But Jeremy watched it with me, so it is. He was just like, they ain't gonna talk here. (laughs) So this musical is literally all singing. Oh, like they they rap to get their point across. Yeah, they do have a rapping point. You get to talk. Yep, that doesn't sound very appealing. It's so good. It's good. It's, it's all good. Dre, you probably ain't gonna like it just because you ain't gonna get past the how they are delivering the message. Mm-hmm. But if you can get past that, like it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, but I'm not gonna get past it, so I'll probably never watch it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I have some news. Go forth. So did you all ever watch the Wonder Years? Oh I yeah, did. I did. Okay, so so did I. So The Wonder Years was a show about life in the 60s and it aired in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So they are doing a Wonder Years reboot hmm. oh, with God. a black family. What? Yes. So it's going to be 60s? a black and Lee Daniels is doing it. Hmm. He's an executive producer and Ben Savage, is he the one that was on there? Well, he yeah. was Corey. Mm-hmm. Ben, yeah, Ben Savage is going to direct it. No, Ben Savage, Fred Savage was. Fred Savage, yeah. yeah. Was ben Corey. Savage was Corey. Yeah, okay. So Fred Savage, I'm pretty sure it said Fred Savage, is going to direct it. And so it's going to be kind of like the same, it's the same time frame. It's going to be the 60s, but it's going to be, it's going to be the 100 years, but from the perspective of a black family. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that, I'm excited about it. I couldn't even mentally picture that. That's crazy. Like, the concept of that. Yeah. Wow. I, that's actually exciting. Like, I, I hope it looks the same, like the mm-hmm. same, like, old 
Girl, I was so prepared to say something bad about the reboot. Did you say the black family? I know, right? I was like, what? The Wonder Years. And I thought, or is it going to be like on a TV station? I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know when it's projected to come out because, I mean, production on stuff is pretty much halted at this point. So I don't even know when it would be coming out, but it's, uh, yeah, it's in the works. And I mean, the way they made it seem was like it's definite. It's just, you know, I don't know when it's going to come out. That's a great concept. Well, I wanted to uh, share something. Were you done, Dre? Yeah, that's all I got. Well, we we kind of briefly talked about the Trump administration for a second. I want to jump back on it. So, (laughs) Dre, brace yourself. Have you heard that he is wanting to ban TikTok? What? Are you serious? What does that even mean? Like, why? (laughs) (laughs) So, for those those of y'all who don't know, Dre is the only one of us who (laughs) indulges in TikTok. (laughs) Just in the corner by herself or just scrolling. I don't know if you scroll on TikTok. I don't know what you do, but whatever it is, <laughs> she be doing it. Scroll, swipe, whatever. That's she be doing it. So uh yeah, so he is threatening to ban it because he says it is, you know, it's Chinese based, so it's a Chinese company. Oh, I didn't know that. And yeah, so it's Chinese based, and he is threatening to ban it as a means of, uh, I don't know if he said it was punishment or getting back at, or if it was in order to get them to uh, be more accountable. But for the coronavirus outbreak, it is in retaliation. What? What? <laughs> you cannot be serious. I thought you were going to say something like, we think they're trying to use it to get information. No, No, that is is the propaganda that is going around about it to get people to buy into it to say that, yeah, maybe it should be banned because the Chinese people, all they do is collect information and they collect data on their own citizens. Why wouldn't you think that they're doing it over here? And I'm not saying that they're not. I don't know. But I feel like there's no evidence for the fact that they're collecting uh, information on its users that is just something that the administration is putting out there to say or to get people on board with banning it but covid covid have no fear you know he called it like the chinese d- disease yeah the, yeah chinese yeah mm-hmm. but have no fear because the tiktok they are calling them the tiktoktivists I'm so done. What is going on? I don't. I don't. They they are. They're on it now. Now, because the the you know the Gen Zers and the 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 younger millennials, they be on that social media shit. Mm -hmm. They have gone on. I didn't even know that the Trump campaign had an app, but they have an app. Oh, they have an app, and they've been going on and downloading it and reviewing it and leaving one star reviews <laughs> and saying, <laughs> "Penny, <laughs> I got a penny. That's good." These were the same folks that bought the tickets. Yep, the same folks that bought the tickets to his thing. <laughs> he's saying it didn't happen, but now it's like now you done literally you targeted them because now people are saying that. Um, underlying, you're targeting them because they embarrassed you with your little uh, <laughs> rendezvous in Tulsa, and you ain't had nobody. 
<laughs> so they've been going on leaving one star reviews saying like trash don't download this app sucks like just like <laughs> the most basic uh bad reviews but because they've been downloading it so often it's actually moved it up because no. yeah but the rating on the app is a 1.2 so oh. yeah that's as as of like right before we came on wow. so yeah that's amazing I was like, Oof, this is crazy it's crazy but wow. i thought that was interesting so Drea, you know go ahead and tiktok on for the little bit of time that you have left <laughs> it might be gone sis I will. I'll keep on. You might wake on up and be like, "What about TikTok?" Oh my same video, y'all. I feel like y'all haven't given TikTok a try. Like, I haven't. There's I haven't. genuinely good stuff on TikTok. I'm like, sure it is. I get all kinds of like decor stuff, recipes, like all kinds of stuff comes from TikTok. And we have been blessed because of your devotion to yes. TikTok. <laughs> You continue mm-hmm. sharing your wealth and we'll just bloom from you. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's funny. But no, I ain't giving it no chance. I ain't gave it no chance. I ain't giving it no chance. That's for me. I am not dabbling in the talk of ticks. So stupid. All right. Anything else we have that we want to share? Oh, I want to share one more thing. Did y'all hear that there is a case of the bubonic plague in Inner Mongolia? Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. It's not funny, but that is a testament to the kind of year that we're having. They didn't discover the bubonic plague in a herdsman in Mongolia. Yeah, I saw that. Wait, what? Is that the Black Death? Yep. Oh, they came from fleas? I don't know where. I don't know where. Oh, okay. Okay, go ahead. I just know it like spread really rapidly in mm-hmm. Europe and all that. I just know it didn't spread in Africa. That's the one. It came. It came from fleas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Come here, just be throwing little slide things, and I just know the black people fine. All right. Well, we're gonna go, and we will be right back. And we're back. Um, as we mentioned last time, this is our final episode in this series dealing with race. Um, and this week we're going to talk about conversations that we've had on race with white people. Um, I I know we have you know a few white people who listen to the to this podcast, and I think it would be beneficial. Um, to know that we are we we are conversing with white people, um, absolutely. And one thing I think is important to know is that um, it is uh, imperative that we have these conversations with white people mm-hmm. because we can, we as black people cannot fix this system. We didn't create it. We cannot fix it. So um, I think that. Um, I know I've been in a lot of circles of black people who have grown frustrated with conversations with white people and who have literally like basically counted it out and said that they're not doing it anymore. And I think that while I understand where the frustration comes from and where I, while I understand, um, you know, the anger and um, the burden that they feel, I think it is very important that we 
push past that and even even throughout uh, like push through discomfort to have these conversations to move the uh, ball forward so I wanted to bring the conversation to you all and ask you all first um I know it's a it's a lot going on right now and obviously there are probably far more conversations that you're having now than you've had in the past but before all of this happened had had you had conversations with white people concerning race before like this recent wave of protests and things like that yeah i had um i when everything went down with mike brown that started breeding a lot of conversations that I was having. I'm in a lot of diverse environments for my job and then being in ministry. Um, so yeah, I started having those conversations. What was that like seven years ago now? Yeah. Um, has it been like seven years? Like that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. So yeah, that's when it kind of started um, happening for me. Well, I've been having conversations about races, you know, Rosewood in elementary. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know if that was a conversation, Camille. That wasn't no conversation since you were back there. That was a good one. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back and watch, or I mean, listen to, was that the last episode? Oh, yeah, yeah it was. It was. Yeah, so last episode. Um, Get your laugh in there, too. <laughs> but yes, but seriously, I, I have been having conversations uh, with white people about race. And uh, it's been interesting because the responses have have varied. So interested mm-hmm. to talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, I, what about you? I have also had conversations prior to um, the current wave of protesting, but I had not had conversations really prior to going on the world race, just because I wasn't mm-hmm. really in a space where a lot of those conversations were being had, but. Yeah, definitely on the race, those were conversations that I had with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I mean, I I have had conversations prior to all of this. I've had conversations dating back to, I don't know if it dates all the way back to middle school, but definitely high school. Mm-hmm. Um, several conversations with friends and uh, not friends. And uh, yeah, so I mean... Yeah, I think so. Knowing that we've all had conversations prior to this, have you noticed a difference in whether it's the the content of the conversation that's going on with white people that you're having now, or the receptiveness to the conversation from white people? Have you noticed a difference in just the feeling of conversation that you're having now? And and what would you what would you attribute that to? What what do you think that that's attributed to? Well, I would say, yes, there is a significant difference, um, especially as in um, there, there are initiations now of conversation mm-hmm. versus like, um, you know, something happened and then a conversation came about. And I also think there is um, more of an awareness that it is an issue for some people. I think a lot of people are reflecting and are more open to hear out um, the perspective of Black people. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a difference. Yeah, there's definitely say... a difference. There's been a difference on my end, too, um, in terms of the amount of conversations that I'm having with white people. So it's not... In the past, it's just been, like, 
within really just like the church and ministry world. And now I'm having, I've had like old high school classmates, you know, send me messages on Facebook. I've had, um, so yeah, or through social media, I've had people texting me that in the past, it's just kind of been acquaintance, but they're like, Hey, I want to hear your voice on this. Um, and I think that I agree with Camille. There's more of an initiation and a more of a, like a Mm, empathy like it's not just oh yeah tell me about this experience like it's a like they're interviewing me for a you know book report or something it's more like no I really want to bear this burden and bear this weight I also I want to be an ally as opposed to I just want information Mm -hmm. yeah I can agree with that I think um But I will also say, I think in a lot of ways, the conversation for me hasn't changed because when those conversations came up before, it was usually uh, initiated by them even before. So like I may say something, but then it would be someone who was white that would come and say, okay, like, hey, can we have a conversation about why why you said that or why you feel this way? Or can you explain Mm -hmm. this to me? Um, and so they were seeking out those conversations when I had them before. And so there are people who are seeking out those conversations with me now, but the difference now, I don't know, it's hard to pinpoint the difference because when those conversations were sought out before, it was very much so from a, it it seemed like it came from the same space. It wasn't. I'll agree. I'll say the frequency has changed now. Like instead of maybe the frequency has changed, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just don't think it has changed that much because the people who were coming to me in the conversations that I was having, their heart and their posture towards the conversation was before the same way it is now. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say I think one thing that has changed for me is that when I've had conversations about race, it it has almost always been on like a policy level. Like, mm-hmm. what can we change to shift? Um, you know what I mean? Like the policies that would benefit people who look like me. Yeah. And even in those conversations, um, I you could tell that the people were coming from a good place. Like, I'm not saying that um, they were, uh, I don't feel like it was ever arguments per se. Like it was always like a, like you're, you're on the right track, but if you change this, this would benefit more people or this is why this is wrong or this is why this particular policy is wrong. But I will say this time, I don't think I've had a conversation on, I, I'll take that back. I have had a couple of conversations on a policy level, but it has been way more people who are coming to me that have been on a personal level that have been like, you know what I mean? I see you and I am sorry that this has been what it, ha- this that this is what has resulted from inaction and even me staying silent, like even being able to pinpoint certain things that happened that I don't even remember happened because I'm so used to them that it's just like, I mean, you know, passive aggressive racism in the office. Like 
I'm so used to it. I don't really even pay attention no more. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's overt, then it's like, oh, okay. But there are conversations where it's been like, when so-and-so said this, I should have stood up and said this for you. And I should have mm-hmm. advocated for you and da 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 And it's just like, I feel seen more instead mm-hmm. of just a, like Kika kind of alluded to, I'm not a representative of my race. It's now I am a person and you are addressing me as a person. Yeah. And I, you know what I mean? They know my family, they know my husband, they know my child. And they're like, I, I wish for better for you, not yeah. just for mm-hmm. the, the conglomerate. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I wish that you have better. Yeah. And so then seeing like, uh, you know, while I am going to continue to work and fight on a policy level as well, I also want it to be beneficial for you here. And what can I do to help that? Yeah. So that's what's been definitely different and definitely more powerful because I feel like um, the conversations have been very removed from me. And like, it's like, yeah, you're coming to me because I'm black, but you're not recognizing that I'm black. And then like, all, not that they're not recognizing that I'm black, but they, I don't fit the mold of what black people who are, who they feel like they should be helping. Mm-hmm. Like I'm yeah. highly educated, mm-hmm. I well-paying job you know what I mean? Like husband working, well-paying job, like, you know what I mean? All of these things. So it's like, I don't fit the, mo- but you, you now see that I am to somebody who hurts from the yeah. color of my skin. Yeah. So that's been very beneficial. And to answer the second part of your question, Cookie, I think it's COVID. I think being locked in your house, being stripped of distraction, um, being more sensitive and sensitized just in general and more hyperly aware um, has caused, you know, the situations to, to just hit a little differently, I think, for white people. A lot of the white people that I've talked to, it's just been like, I was aware before, but I'm more aware than I have been in the past. Almost like, you know, something on their eyes was removed that caused them to see a little bit more clearly. And the only thing that I can attribute it to is just the distractions of busyness in life. Um, because even... Even as a as a black person, I can be honest and say prior to the whole George Floyd thing, I got into a busyness that numbed me. And with COVID, I couldn't numb myself anymore to the George Floyd situation. And I reacted um, completely different than I have in the in the cases of the last two to three years. And I just would attribute that to the same responses that we're seeing from a lot of the white people that are we're engaging in conversations. Yeah, that's that's good for sure. Um, so I wanted to ask: um, Have all of the conversations? Uh, I guess we can kind of limit it to what has been going on recently. Have have all of the conversations that you've had been productive with white people? Like, do you feel like it's been like you could walk away and be like, "Yeah, I appreciate the fact that we had that conversation." Has every conversation been like that? I can I can definitely say yes. Every conversation that I have had, I but again because of the heart and the posture of the person who approached me for the conversation to begin with, it was definitely yeah. from a place of I want to understand and like help me to understand, help me to know what it is that I don't already know, help me to see and understand how your experience is different than mine and yeah so and it's definitely been a lot of 
checking on my heart and how I'm doing. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, all of this is going mm-hmm. on. How are you doing as a person dealing with all of this? And so I think the conversations have been very productive. It's been just a lot of open dialogue. And I think that it's it's been a continuous ongoing thing. It wasn't just a one conversation here, but it's just been a continuous conversation. And I think that with something that complex, you have to have continuous dialogue for people to be able to understand the multiple levels and nuances of it. Yeah, I agree, Drea. Um, I think the conversations for me have been productive as well, um, but also in a productive in a way that I didn't uh, foresee because it's like we have, as Black people, we have this um, predisposition is that we'll be giving this information, but what has really impacted me is me receiving the that that aspect of individuality versus being a black person. Like we're concerned about you. I'm calling to check on you because this is mm-hmm. I, I don't quite understand the impact. Like I'm, you know, this is a lot for me, so I can't even imagine what this is having, uh, what type of impact it's having on you, and just seeing how that recognition has impacted me, has been so productive. And I think it's been unifying. Like you said, Kika, I think another aspect of COVID is that COVID is impacting everyone, even yeah. though it is, you know, still disproportionately affecting African-American. <laughs> um, but overall, it is impacting everyone. And I really think that that is unifying us. So, yeah. but, so that's something, that was a little, a turn for me. I didn't expect it to impact me as greatly as it has. Yeah, I'll say yes, too, for the same reasons that Camille and Andrea said, but also because I'm choosing to engage certain conversations in the past. Um, it has, you know, escalated and been super, you know, reacting with super defensive people. They say just really problematic things and I would engage the conversation. But this time around, I've been intentional to not cast my pearls before swine, if you will, and choosing where I'm going to... You're going to save, girl. What you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what? Y'all heard that scripture. Don't be acting like that. I have not. heard that scripture, but I'm, I don't understand the context in which you're mentioning it now. I mean, I'm not. The whole concept of that scripture is don't waste your wisdom on in, in unproductive situations. Don't give your wisdom to someone that's a fool. Like, you're wasting your time. So in the context of this is I'm not going to sit and engage in a conversation with you who I know walking in, you're not, I'm my, me talking to you is not going to shift anything for you. I did because I've never heard someone just drop that in conversation. Yeah, um, I was like, Oh, okay. That, that's not even like, not even like something that some old same person would say. Like I never, I have never heard that just dropped oh, in conversation. Yeah, you know I'm in the so we we talking things like that. But yeah, um, outside of the Bible, girl, you did this the first time. Outside of being preached, right? That's so funny. But yeah, like I'm not going to if I if I already know that talking to you is not going to produce fruit. And I'm not talking about you walking away from the conversation now saying, yeah, Black Lives Matter, and I'm going to know. I'm talking about <laughs> any kind of incremental shift for you to have your heart soften. 
I'm not going to engage this because all it's going to do is frustrate me. And now I'm going to be put in a situation where I'm not going to respond lovingly. So I'm going to engage in the conversations that I believe are going to produce fruit, whatever that looks like. So that's been a choice that I've been making on saying, you have a pattern of being defensive in this situation. I'm not going to engage you because I don't think that's my ministry to help you out in that way. And I don't want to cuss you out. So let's just tap out real quick. I'm not called to that. So I need to be Christ-like. I can't be Christ-like talking to you. That's good. I'll say, I think that one thing for me is that I, I will. So ultimate answer to the question is yes. The conversations have definitely been productive this go around. Like, I don't think I've had an unproductive conversation of late, but I will say, I think I'm the reason why in the past they were unproductive. Mm. Like I think because it's like one, I are, I'm, I'm going in with an assumption that you ain't going to know what I'm talking about. Mm. There's no even reason for me to have the conversation or if I am going to have the conversation, I'm probably going to react in a, a way that's not productive. That's going to lead to you being defensive because I'm sitting yeah. here telling you, you know, what I mean? going not going off, but like basically going off. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. you say something wrong or something along those lines. And I feel like I feel like being. um Maybe the situation did hit me a little bit differently. Hmm. I I can't remember, but like I maybe I felt more sensitive to this issue, or quite frankly, maybe it's that people are now reaching out to me on a personal level that mm-hmm. has caused me to shift mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I'm willing to talk to you and give you a chance and uh, allow for understanding to develop if you don't have it already. I'm not yeah. gonna assume that you don't have understanding. And I think that's what's caused the conversation to be productive because I don't even know, like, it's hard to say if in the past when these things weren't present, if the conversations wouldn't have been productive, if I wasn't coming in with already preconceived notions of how they were going to react to the conversation and just a, you know, an unwillingness to dig deeper into having a conversation to get you to understand what it is that I'm trying to say. Um, So I think, you know, it, it, I, I've been pleasant. I have been pleasantly surprised. Like, and I don't even know, like, you know what I mean? Like people are people. Like a lot of people tend to default to empathy if you allow them to. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't think that I've allowed people to. And I wonder if I would be as surprised if I had in the past. So. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a a really good segue to the next question because Mm -hmm. it made me, so the next question was, was there a time where you overreacted to a question or a conversation with a white person? And for me, the answer is no, but I have firsthand witnessed someone else doing it. And in seeing that, and it wasn't even, I don't, it wasn't even a big thing, but we, I was at work and there was a white guy who I think my co-worker straightened her hair or something she's natural she straightened her hair and there was a white guy who asked her a question about her hair like something like how do you get it to do that like how do you get it to go go back or something something like that and her response how just 
immediately when he began to ask the question, her posture changed. Mm -hmm. And it was very defensive. And I saw his reaction to her shift in posture. And I was like, he is now closed off. Mm-hmm. He is asking a question from a place of he's literally bald and gener- 100% has zero context for your hair. And he's genuinely asking because he wants to know. And mm-hmm. because you reacted to him in that way, I saw his posture change. And I know that he's never going to ask you a question like that again. Yeah. And he's probably going to tiptoe on eggshells if the conversation ever even gets anywhere close to that. And it was just like, so he now has no outlet in you in order to yeah. become informed. He has yeah. no space to have that type of conversation because you reacted to him in that way. And so I learned from their experience that while I do not want to be an ambassador for all black people and represent an entire race and explain the heart of how black people feel about everything. I have zero desire to do that. But I also understand that there are some people who I may be the closest or even only black friend you really have that you can trust that you can come to and ask the question. And I, I will be glad to tell you that I cannot speak for all black people, but I can explain the truth of my experience as a person. And so I think because I saw that happen with someone else, I was able to take that on and say, okay, I care more about, your ability to understand then I care about how I might feel because you're asking me an ignorant question. Hmm. I'll say, Drea, one thing, I don't even think I've told you this, but I remember FaceTiming you one time when you were on the race and you had said something about a conversation that you had. Um, and, and this wasn't the first conversation that you had. And I remember you say, I remember asking you like, how are you doing this over and over and over again? And you said something along the lines of, I have accepted the fact that I may be, you know, these people's only, like you said, only black friend Mm -hmm. or only outlet for them to ask these questions. And I care more about uh, them than I do about my feelings of feeling like I may be, they, they may be asking me to be representative of an mm-hmm. entire race or, or whatever. That was like I was like, whoa! Like I just had <laughs> thought about that. Like the fact that even if I'm not your only black friend, I may be the only person who you feel, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. that you feel comfortable coming to and asking this question. And while I agree with you, Dre, like I hate feeling like. I hate feeling the burden, which I said at the top of the, like at the top of the segment or whatever, I hate the burden of having to educate you. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel like the burden should be on the oppressed class to educate you on my oppression. Mm -hmm. You have access to more resources. You have access to tons of shit for you to go out and read about. I should be the authority on all things black. Like I just shouldn't. But when you said that, I feel like that in conjunction with, George Floyd, all of these things were like playing in my mind at these times that I'm having these conversations with people. So like that blew my mind. I whoa. (laughs) And um, I think, praise the Lord. I think (laughs) I have the same response like 
Drea, I don't think I've ever had a conversation where I've in in a conversation with a white person I've overreacted, but I have had situations where a conversation or question was being talked about about amongst black people and I overreacted to that. That makes sense? A group of black people are talking and they mention a statement or a question or conversation that they had with another white person, with a white person. And they were talking about it amongst myself and my reaction was an overreaction in that space. Not like, oh, so you're saying you, you like you vocalized what you would have said to them and it was an overreaction or what? I don't, yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I wasn't directly having a conversation with a white person. I was having a conversation with black people, but I overreacted on what was being discussed. And mm-hmm. my overreaction made me realize, oh, you got some stuff in your heart that you need to deal with because if you were put in a position where you had to engage this with a white person, you, I would have reacted like your coworker who was just like snapping off before he could even get everything out. And for, for me, that was a check for me to be like, Hey, like if not even if I know that I am called to have conversations with white people about this, like I know it I've, I've been in, positions to have these conversations at so many different levels of people with influence. So I had to check myself and be like, you can't continue to have the ears of people of influence if you don't deal with your heart and the potential visceral reaction that you'll have if presented with something that doesn't sit well with you. Um, So thankfully, I don't, I can't recall the time where I've just popped off on some white person um to in in the to them directly but i have done it in a in a in a different group and i didn't like mm-hmm. i didn't like it yeah i can say what 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 you do mm-hmm. <laughs> so so actually <laughs> outside of that time i actually can't think of a time where i overreacted in conversation with the white person now overacted and recounting that conversation with you all <laughs> but i can think of multiple times where i actually underreacted especially mm. in the field that i was in because i was the only one and i did not want to mess up the opportunity for the person coming yeah. behind me mm. and so there were so many things that were said and like I would do the little, uh, you know, uh, you learn in the spaces. I would do like the little passive aggressiveness, but I would never just overtly say this is wrong. Mm. So I, yeah, I, I, I vividly remember times like I, I, so many times I was asked, "How are you a part of this program? How are you working here? How did you get here?" And I'd be like, "Oh, I flew Delta." Like you know, I would be petty. <laughs> But I never was just like, you're, you're wrong for saying that because I did yeah. not want to mess it up for the person coming behind me. And now I'm a lot better, but it used to, especially in college, because I was still really foolish and I knew that if I let it go, I couldn't really back in. I wasn't mature enough to really back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can say I have overreacted to several <laughs> even recall like I can't even give you an example like there have been so many but 
I will say like one thing that I in in like thinking back to my disposition with these conversations when I've approached conversations presently like I've kind of like like I I don't I don't even know when the first conversation happened but like I know that I took a pause before I sent a response because it's just like I I want to make sure that because now this feels different and like the way that you're talking to me feels different I want to make sure that I'm not going revert back to my old ways because I can <laughs> I can hurt your feelings now regardless of who you are so I so I had to take a beat and I think that my previous overreactions just taught me that like you can really really mess somebody up behind it and not only can you mess somebody like my reputation can be on the line from how from how I react to it because mm-hmm. I remember specifically there was an incident in high school I can't remember what we talked about I'm I'm fairly certain it was some confederate flag topic in school or whatever and I remember having a conversation and in in a class of 30 it ended up being a debate back and forth between me and one other person white guy I'm gonna say white boy but white guy so and then he ends up going to school with my brother and my brother ends up in the same fraternity as this guy and this guy calls my name and was like I didn't even know you was his her brother like because my brother and I we there were two like it was a a grade in between us so like we wouldn't have seen each other in school like you wouldn't have known if you didn't know and he was like that's your sister man I recall one time she lit into me over some debate like this was like two years later like you get what I'm saying so like he remembers a, I, I remember it too I just don't remember the context of the conversation but yeah he used to get on my nerves but anyway <laughs> that did teach me that like how you react people are going to remember it mm-hmm. and if and he he is not one to shy away from conversation so I know I didn't scar him in that regard like he is like me basically but if he wasn't then he he could have been completely just I'm not gonna engage anymore. Yeah. Like I, so yeah, that's something that I definitely learned. And um, I, I'll say I ahead. think honestly, a part of why white people have not engaged. I'm not I'm not condoning the lack of it, but I think a part of why a lot of white people haven't engaged it is because of the fear of some black person snapping mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. there are a lot of white people who, because usually the conversations I have with white people always starts with a lot of disclaimers mm-hmm. and apart, <laughs> like, I'm sorry if I say it wrong and I'm, and, da, 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 and it's like, oh, this is what's replaying in your head every mm-hmm. single time something like this happens. And I think there's an image that you have of black people in the context of this conversation that has truth to it and merit that causes you to shy back from engaging the conversation because you don't want to be cussed out. You don't want to be called racist. You don't want to be canceled or whatever else. And I think that (laughs) that further goes to the point of what we're talking about on there is a responsibility that black people have. The onus is on us, no matter how hard it is to help white people who actually want to be helped to be better allies because i mean yes they can i've had conversations with people who read all 
kinds of books, books I ain't never even thought about reading. And then we sit down and talk and it's like that mental knowledge is not going to, is different when you talk to someone and it hits your heart. Cause it can just stay in your head and you know all the facts about systematic oppression and all these things, but it's not until you engage into a conversation when you're looking into the eyes of a human being and they tell you, this is how what you know in your head has directly impacted me and the people that I love. And I think that's that part is also needed. And yeah. But I, I will say, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. I think y'all covered it. Needed, but I think responsibility uh-huh. is a very strong word. Come on, that's where we was going. I, I, I can't say I got the responsibility. Uh-huh. Nothing. Come right? on, I. I but I love you as a person, mm-hmm. and I want you to be made better and I understand that I have the ability to assist you in that yeah yeah so because I love you I will do that but responsibility Mm. as if if I don't then I am Uh uh-huh derelict in what I'm supposed no okay come on I can't say I'm rolling with that word It's, it's too strong that's yeah, I, that's something similar to what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, I can under, I think ultimately, um, especially if you are coming to me, seeking me out and asking me a question, I think at a base level, you need to have formed some type of relationship with me to be able to say something that might be Offensive. a prop like mm-hmm. problematic because I'm. I'm going to react much differently from somebody who says something problematic. If I know you and I love you and I care about you, than somebody else who comes to me and asks, Hey, um, why do you think it's a problem for people to rap and say the word nigger? And versus somebody who I have a relationship, I can have a conversation with you about why I think it's wrong for, and I'm going to engage you in a conversation, but you coming up to me, I don't even know you. Like, Mm -hmm. I think, I think one at a base level, you need to, as a white person, I think the best thing you can do is form genuine relationships with black people who you care about to be able to have these conversations with them. I'm still not going to say that I bear the responsibility even for the people who I love to to educate them and to even to allow them to have a conversation with. I don't, responsibility is just, mm, that's for, like, I, yeah. I'm responsible to my child. I'm responsible <laughs> to my husband. Like, but I ain't responsible to you. That, no. Yeah, I had to take a second and look up the definition. I was just like, baby, hold on. Because it, it says, the second one says, the fact of being accountable or to blame for something. And that's where oh. that's where I went and I was like, no, no, oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. You cannot blame me or yeah. any other African American for your lack of knowledge. You have the same the same opportunity that I have to engage in conversation with you is the same opportunity you have to engage in conversation with me. There's like responsibility that took me out. Yeah, yeah I don't th- I don't think it's our responsibility, but I do think we have the choice in how we respond and the choice to engage in these conversations. Yeah. I think for all of us in this conversation, it's sounding like we are choosing to allow conversations to happen with, you know, considering again, the relationship with people and how you approach me. Like, don't, you know what I mean? Like, 
like I think Kika, you were the one who said, "Don't approach me and make me feel like I'm the the baseline for your book report." Like you know what I mean? Like don't don't come ask me you no know, like firing off a whole bunch of rapid fire questions. Like that's just not something that I'm willing to engage. But if you have like a genuine question that is coming from a genuine place, like you really want to know how to move forward and address you know something or uh, how you should feel about something, or somebody said this to me, and this is how I felt about it. You know what I mean? Like any kind of conversation like that, like I feel like we're, I, I know for me, I'm choosing to be much better than I was in the past, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, I'll, and also, there, Cookie, your example is funny. When you said you, like you a stranger, you come to me and you, why can't you rap and all of this stuff, but I will say, and as y'all were talking, I thought about it. There were conversations that I walked away from Mm -hmm. because if the conversations I engaged were conversations with people that I felt like I could trust your heart. Like, I feel like I understand that you are coming from a genuine place. There were absolutely conversations. (laughs) That I was like, Jesus is Lord. This ain't my conversation to have. And I turned around and walked away. Like, I I remember vividly walking into a room and a conversation was being had. And I said, oh, it's time for me to go take a shower. <laughs> and I gathered my malonkins and went and got in the shower and stayed in there for a long time. We had no hot water, stayed in there a long time. Because I was like, I need that conversation to be over because I know now that I have come into the space is gonna be like, oh yeah, let me let me try to bring you into this conversation. And I'm like, nah, baby, I don't nah, you, baby. No, nah, I'm not having this conversation with you specifically. I have yeah. it with her, but I ain't having it with you. So <laughs> I mean, I think that there are definitely for me, when I understand and trust someone's heart, it's a lot easier for me to engage. Yeah, certain conversations, but you, I'm not. You're not gonna try to use a conversation with me in some way to try to right. bring validity to to your point, right? Mm-hmm. To your foolishness, because no, that's good. Yeah, and that's why I said it's important to have that underlying relationship. Like, yeah, because it's, it's important. That relationship can, can sometimes let you know that no, you you ain't the one <laughs> I want to have this conversation with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to wrap things up, I want to ask you guys, you know, um, do you think that there is a baseline of understanding that has been necessary to have these conversations be productive? I think we're dreading from, it. From the white person. Check. Uh, I think there's a baseline of respect that's needed to come yeah. into a conversation. Yeah. If, if you respect me and I respect you then I think the conversation can be had. But as far as a baseline of not like you need to know certain things, like, no, like I, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, a lot of conversations I've had, the point is that you don't know. And you're like, mm-hmm. how have I missed this for the entirety of my life? Please explain, you know? So I think a baseline of respect is what's necessary both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a baseline of understanding that black people need to have. And maybe this was just my experience, but me and Andre, we said multiple times before, we grew up in a predominantly African-American community. 
Uh, then we chose to go to an HBCU and then with our internships and then real life, we were thrown out there um, into what America really is. <laughs> and with that and, and building relationships with people, I was ignorant to the fact of how ignorant of black culture and blackness that white people could be. Like, like I was talking to one of my friends and I was like, yeah, like Howard. And they were like, Howard? What's Howard? And I was like, you don't know what Howard is? I mean, it was just like little things like that. Like, like the fact that um, you, you don't know that systematic oppression, like systematic racism is a thing. I was like, how do you not know that? Because that's been my whole experience. So I had to grow in understanding that people legitimately, that because of privilege, don't know that these things yep. exist. So I think that that helped me in having conversations and being receptive and knowing that they don't know these things that are basic elements to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I was going to say that the only baseline, like I agree with Drea, what she said, I was going to say the only baseline that I can think is um, white people not treating black people, the one black voice that they're talking to or they're listening to as the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. Because then you you get into that whole territory of, well, my black friend said da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And you think to justify um, this, you know, blanket you make a blanket statement now about you know a people group so i would say if there's any baseline is coming into it saying this is in a isolated case with an isolated person this is a specific conversation with this individual and it doesn't speak to the entirety of the black experience in 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 america hmm. yeah i will say that one thing that i think is helpful for people for white people to understand when you are approaching a conversation is that there is a difference between individual racism mm-hmm. and institutional racism. Come on, say that one more time. Repeat that one. <laughs> and I think that I think that if you come in with that baseline and I think underlying I would say every conversation that I have had and multiple conversations that I've heard you all share about you know, conversations that you're having with white people, that has been an understanding. Is that, or, you know, a willingness to get there, that there is a difference between mm-hmm. you being racist mm-hmm. and the institutions that you are a part of being racist. Yeah. And just because you yourself may not be racist does not mean that you have not benefit benefited from racism. Yeah. And I think when you come to that understanding, because I feel like a, a lot of the roadblock in the past that I've in conversations that I've had has been that this feeling that I'm not racist. So, you know what I mean? And it's like, I'm not yeah. saying that you're racist. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying that what you said was racist. What I'm saying is this model or whatever it is that we are talking about, the foundation is founded on racism. Let's talk about that. Let's get into that. I'm not saying that you, I'm not saying that you look at me with hate. I'm not saying any of that, but at the end of the day, there are things that you benefited from that I didn't benefit from. And the only underlying thing could be racism because we're literally in the same position in life. Like 
I mean, so I think that if you come in with that understanding and you let your guard down and if I say something that may be offensive to you or hurt your feelings or whatever, I'm not talking about you as a person. Because ultimately, honestly, like, yes, I think individual racism leads to institutional racism. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I don't I I know for a fact there is no way that we I can eradicate individual racism. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't do that. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a heart issue that I don't have control over. I think that for some people being around, you know, I don't know, diversity and inclusion, and it helps and all this, I don't, but I do say that, like, I do feel like that laws and, like, institutions and things that put in place, like, you cannot do this, like, you know what I mean, that's where the eradication of the systems and also, like, you know, reparations would be nice. You know what I mean? Paying back for violations and things like that that you've done, like on an institutional level. I don't, I'm not saying I don't care, but I care less about individual racism than I do about institutional racism. And when I am addressing you and we are having conversations, I think understanding that there is a difference. And when I'm talking to you, and if I say something that might might step on your toes, I'm not talking about you as a person. And you don't have to tell me or reiterate to me that you're not racist. Yeah. Because- even the fact that I'm having a conversation with you should tell you that I know you ain't. You know what I mean? So I I think that's helpful. I do think addressing individual racism is as beneficial as institutional racism because I always default to the laws and policies that were put in place that were overcome by individual racism. So African-Americans have the right to vote. But guess what? Then there's a poll tax. Oh, guess what? They're different, especially in the Jim Crow South, where these people weren't, it was law for them to vote, just like it was law for the emancipation of slavery. Okay. So they just changed the form of slavery. So I do think right. individual racism does impact institutionalize it, but yeah, that's I, definitely. I think, I, think, I, think it's def, I think it's harder to get at a bunch of individuals. I agree. A lot of whom, you know what I mean, don't even, because I, Honestly, like all of the people who I have engaged and have productive conversations with are not individual races, yeah. you know? So, yeah. but I struggle with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, anything else that we have that anybody would like to close on or close with? I, I have some. I will say that, and if you are someone who perhaps you don't, because you're saying that they, that they should come to the conversation with that understanding. Maybe they don't have that understanding. That's why I'm telling them. <laughs> I mean, you can tell them, but it's a... <laughs> I think that's a separate conversation. So I think that I would say, if you are that person who does not have an understanding of those two things, maybe that's where you need to start, is engaging the conversation to be able to understand those things, and then from there you can go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. It's good. Yeah. This was good. Yeah. I enjoyed this. All right. Um, I think that is it for this week. Anybody have anything else they want to share? Close out with? Y'all wear your mask. Y'all wear your mask. Wear a mask. Please wear a mask. And save TikTok. All right. (laughs) (laughs) See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.